Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Iris Lead Essentials podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Kayo. And in this episode, we will be discussing how you can welcome changes and take advantage of features introduced at WWDC 2020. So every time there is big news in the industry, a new framework, a new platform, or a new language feature, we start receiving a lot of questions such as, what's going to change now? How will you test the code now? How will you design and architect your apps now? But the reality is, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Right. Why is that? It's because developing good software is based on foundational principles that do not change depending on language, framework, or platform. Mm -hmm. They are universal principles that make good software. And that's why we get new features and we're going to use them and we are excited about them, but they don't change how you build software. Because the foundational principles don't change with platform, language, or feature changes. Right. And that's the key message we have for you, because if you master, and you should master, good design principles, the foundation, then you will be able to adapt and welcome change easily. And that's the key to a prosperous career in iOS development or software development in general. Exactly. Overall. So, with that said, what is going to change after WWDC 2020, are you going to change, Mike, how you develop software? I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's uh, going to remain exactly the same the way I build software. But I am very excited to start using, from day one, new technologies, new features. And how can you do that? Because I develop modular code bases. I separate my features, I separate my modules, my components, everything is tested upfront. So then I can just use them in any way I want. So that's what we mean when we say that the way you develop apps don't change. It's the same way you build apps or good apps 20 years ago. You create decoupled modules so you can welcome change easily, including business logic change, market changes, framework, platforms, language features changes, right? Of course, the way you develop apps with different languages may look different, right. but the foundation is the same, which means if you master the foundation, you can operate in any language, in any platform. And there's been a huge push in this WWDC for you to support multiple platforms or at least multiple Apple platforms. Exactly. So if you want to be ready to support all those platforms, macOS, watchOS, iPadOS, iOS, at the same time, it's important that you start modularizing your app, decoupling what is platform specific from what is platform agnostic. And that's the key for you to be able to adapt those new technologies easily. Because when there are new technologies, new features in the platform, you want to use them. You want to be excited about it. And if you have a good modular design, 
new features are exciting because you can implement them, as you said, from day one. At a minimum cost. Right, so you can deliver those features to your customers. Widgets, app clips, running your app on the Apple Silicon. You know, you can deliver those features easily because you can compose your application differently for different platforms. And that's the key. And there's nothing different from building software 20 years ago or now. With Objective-C or Swift, it's the same. The principles, the foundation is the same. But of course, we have better tools now. And you want to use them. We want to use SwiftUI. We want to use widgets. We want to use macOS, Catalyst, iPadOS, Scenes. So master those principles because it is the key to a prosperous career. It's the key to deliver value to your customers, to your stakeholders, and to yourself. Exactly. You'll be able to easily use new features and release your apps in multiple platforms, making your customers happy, making the business happy. So everyone wins. Making you happy. Exactly. If they are happy, (laughs) then you are happy. Exactly. But if you haven't been following foundational principles, if you haven't been following a modular design, if you haven't been testing your application, decoupling classes, and creating reusable modules, then maybe those new features will come as a surprise or a bad surprise because maybe your customers will want them, maybe your business will want them, but it won't be that easy to implement. So conflicts may arise from that. So that's why we're recording this podcast today to reply to questions we've been receiving and to help you welcome change. Welcome those new features into your code base. It should be exciting. Every time there's a WWDC, you should be excited to implement these new features because you are ready. And to be ready, you need to master the foundation of good software design, good software principles, because that's what's going to help you achieve technical excellence and a prosperous career. So, first question. App clips seem perfect for my company's needs, but talking with the dev team, we found out it won't be easy to implement app clips in our code base since the features are tightly coupled. For example, it's impossible right now to release standalone features without the others, unless we add a bunch of compilation flags and directives. So it is possible, but <laughs> it's messy. It'll be cumbersome, right? Messy. So what tips can you give us for moving forward with a new architecture? So first of all, what is an app clip? Right. App clips is this new technology Apple revealed for iOS 14 that basically is a smaller version of your app that provides a quick access to some sort of feature to your customers. So it's like a standalone app. It is a standalone app. This is very important to understand. It's a standalone app and it's a subset of your application. Like a small version of your app. Exactly. Yes. And I quite like that, this word subset of your application, because it makes you think your application not like in one entity, if that makes sense. Like one blob binary. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) It's like a collection of something and you want a subset of this collection. So I think this fits perfectly 
with the modular design we've been talking about in this podcast. But why can't I just use my app, my normal app as an app clip? Right, because you have a limitation of 10 megabytes for an app clip. That doesn't mean it should be 10 megabytes, right? It no. It should be as small no. as possible. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but it's not just about the limitation of 10 megabytes. It's because you are supposed to provide a subset of your application for a very specific flow, mm -hmm. for a specific use case that's going to be very quick for the customer to just take advantage of your application without having to install the full app. Yeah. For example, you can just have the checkout because it supports all frameworks, including Apple Pay. So you can have a subset of your application only with the checkout. So if someone goes into the store, they can use the app to purchase something without having to download the full app. It's a wonderful idea when we say it out loud, but <laughs> the implementation of this can be quite tricky because how, how are you going to achieve that if you don't have this modularity in place, right? If you cannot chop your app into subsets, basically, it's, it's, it's very, very hard to do so. Yeah, but this challenge is not new because you have the same challenge if you want to load things in the background. For example, mm -hmm. you want to load just a subset of your classes to download things in the background. Right. Also, if you want Springboard extensions mm -hmm. for your app, you also need just a subset because you have limited resources for those activities. And so on. If you want to release your app in multiple platforms, you also have exactly the same problem. Modularize it and deliver maybe a subset on the watchOS, which also has limited resources, or a different UI on macOS, and etc. So this is not a new problem. And if you have a modular design, you are ready to deliver an app clip tomorrow. Yes. Because you just compose your application, a subset of your application, and you, you're done. That's it. Otherwise, it's going to be much more challenging. Yeah, like the person asking a question mentioned about adding directives and flags, all that stuff. Can you imagine how messy the code base is going to be? How hard it's going to be to, to navigate in a code base like this? And by the way, you can have more than one app clips, right? So True. Yeah, this can get out of hand quickly. Yes, and imagine to test as well. You're going to have to have multiple test targets yeah. to be able to test every path with compilation flags. So most likely you're not going to test it because yeah. Yeah. it's going to be too hard yeah. to do it. It's not going to be cost-effective at all. Exactly. So without tests come bugs, comes more modularity problems as well. So modularization is key. If you want to deliver good app clips, you know, in a cost-effective way. Yeah. Which is the same solution to deliver apps in multiple platforms in a cost-effective way, or to deliver widgets, or to deliver springboard extensions, and etc. So modular design is, is important. It's not a new thing. It's been around in literature for forever, since, what, the 70s? You can find papers on it. Yeah. Right? This idea is foundation. It's foundation to good software design. And if you master it, you'll be able to deliver the best results to your customers, to your clients, and that comes back to you. Exactly. It's that simple. <laughs> so that's the advice. You need to modularize your app. And if you have very tight coupling at the moment, 
it might not be that easy, but you can start with factoring little by little, writing tests to help you decouple your applications because when you write unit tests, you want to test one thing at a time, which will force you to create components that don't depend on others directly. It's going to help you introduce better abstractions in between your classes. But tests don't do magic. The tests alone don't do it. The design skills need to come from you. So you need to improve your design skills. The design is as good as your design skills. Exactly. The tests will help you. They'll put incentives for you to think about the design. Mm -hmm. But the design don't come from the tests. It comes from your skills, from what you do. We, as developers, we are responsible for the design. So learn about modular design. It may take some time to refactor your code base, especially in a messy code base, but it can be done little by little. And until you get there, you might have to add some compilation flags, but it's a temporary solution. Right. And if you live there for too long, you will become the solution. So start refactoring <laughs> your code base, create the couple modules, and decouple the features as well. So you can have an app clip with a specific feature without releasing the others that you don't need. Exactly. Also, if your features are coupled with a lot of third-party frameworks, you may not be able to create app clips because the more third-party frameworks you add, the larger the binary becomes. So you have 10 megabytes here, right? So Yeah, there are libraries that adds almost 100 megabytes. Yeah. So you won't be able to use them. So beware. Be careful with the libraries you use. If you haven't been paying attention to the size of your app, start paying attention now and you see that the libraries have a huge impact on the size of your binary. I've been using a banking app that uses 354 megabytes. It's a banking app. There's nothing special there. <laughs> a bunch of table views. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there, but it doesn't seem right that a mobile app needs to be 350 megabytes. Just a bunch of table views. So how can you tell that your app is modular? Right. So some signals. For example, if you have five tabs in your application, how easy would it be to create another application reusing all the code, but only with three tabs mm. without adding if else statements, without compilation flags? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How easy can you create a new target, create a new composition route, compose your application in a different way without changing existing code? Right. If you can do it easily, it means that you're ready for yeah. multi-platform, you're ready for app clips, you're ready for widgets, you're ready for new features. Yeah. Because you have a modular design that can be recomposed, rearranged as needed. Yeah. So this is a sign. It's a good benchmark. Otherwise, you may end up with a bunch of if is macOS, if is iOS, do something. If it's watchOS, do something else. Yeah. Or even worse, using some compilation flags, which makes very hard to maintain this code base. Exactly. But it might be necessary in the beginning until you clean up the design. Yeah, so app clips are standalone apps and they should be treated as such. They shouldn't depend on the main app. They should have their own composition route. That's it. Because the composition route is application specific. You don't usually reuse composition routes because every app has its own composition needs. Yeah. 
and that's it. I think AppClips is going to help people understand the importance of all these principles that we've been talking about for 23 episodes now in this podcast. You know, like modular design, why do you need it? Because previously, perhaps developers didn't have the need to reuse their code. But now that Apple is pushing you to reuse your code, well, yeah, whoever prepared it's going gonna, it's gonna to be ready from day one. Well, assuming that this is going to be a popular feature that sure. customers want yeah, yeah, and course. will use. Of course. We'll see with time. Yeah. But we're only going to know if we put the feature out there and test it out. Exactly. So, yeah, we don't know. Will app clips be used, widely used by developers and customers? I don't know. We'll see with time. Yeah. It's a great idea. I like it. Because there's a bunch of apps that need to download for a one-time-only thing. Yeah, yeah. And I would rather don't have to install an app. Exactly. If I'm going to use it once. Yeah. So we will see. By the way, the same principles, again, apply to widgets. Right. Modular code base will make it so easy to implement widgets in your code base. So it might be time to start refactoring your code base to a modular design if you haven't already. Next question. Is it time to ditch UIKit completely <laughs> in favor of SwiftUI 2.0? Is this the official name? SwiftUI 2.0? That's, that's how it goes online. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it officially right. on Apple Talks, but SwiftUI 2.0 means the updates we got yeah. in iOS 14 in Xcode 12, right? Mm-hmm. Well, should we ditch UIKit in favor of SwiftUI 2.0? In my opinion, no. Unless you're ready to ditch iOS 13, 12, 11, which in some cases I'm not. So I'm not gonna completely ditch UIKit if I'm supporting these older platforms, especially if you have apps being deployed worldwide, Hmm. right? In some countries, people don't change the phones as much as they do in the US or maybe in Europe. Right. Not everyone can afford change phones every year. Yeah. Or not everyone is tech savvy to be updating their OS. You know, so it depends on your customer base. So that's why I'm not going to be ditching those iOS versions in every app. But I'll start gradually using SwiftUI more and more. If I don't need to support these older platforms, yes, I will use SwiftUI. Especially now with the lazy grids. Mm. I've been waiting for lazy grids for a long time. So if I can ditch iOS 13, I will use SwiftUI as much as I can. It's not because I don't want to use SwiftUI right now. I do want to use it. I can't wait to start using it. But I cannot make decisions based on what I want. Right, exactly. When I have customers and stakeholders depending on my decisions. That's how I think. And that's how I recommend you think as well. You know, think about your customers and stakeholders. What is best for them? What is best? Dropping support for iOS 13 and below now? I know it's going to be fun to always have mm-hmm. the latest features, but what is the impact of dropping those platforms? You know, maybe the impact is zero, but you need to know because you don't want to stop supporting platforms and phones that your customers use. So that's my recommendation. 
think about your customers and stakeholders. They don't even know if you're using SwiftUI or UIKit. You know, the app will look exactly the same, let's say. So for them, it doesn't matter. But of course, if it's going to make your life easier and you're going to be able to deliver more features to your customers with SwiftUI and you can drop those platforms, yes, go for it. Choose the tools based on their needs and you more likely deliver more value and progress in your career. Mm -hmm. That's the key. That's why will lead you to a prosperous career. And of course, remember that some new features like widgets is Swift UI only. Mm -hmm. No UI kit. Look at that. Another push by Apple. But widgets is iOS 14 and above. So it makes sense. So when you're implementing your widgets, you're going to use Swift UI. So Swift UI is already the go-to solution in some use cases. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't started using Swift UI, now it's the time. But should you ditch UIKit completely? No, not yet. Mm -hmm. We still need it. Which, by the way, Swift UI is using UIKit behind the scenes <laughs> in a lot of components. Next question. Are you using or do you recommend using Combine in your apps instead of RX Swift or other reactive frameworks? Yes, I am using Combine in apps that don't need to support iOS 12 and below. Because again, Combine is iOS 13 and above. And I recommend using Combine because the APIs are much more mature. Mm -hmm. More mature than SwiftUI, I mean. Because Combine APIs are based on reactive streams, which is a standard. So SwiftUI updates may break your app because they're huge API changes. But combine updates are less likely to break your code. It's less likely to have breaking changes because it's based on a standard. You know, map, flat map, right. all the publisher APIs, they're based on universal abstractions. That's why combine is more stable. It's a stable framework or more stable than SwiftUI. So yes, I do recommend using Combine instead of RxSwift or other frameworks if you can. Again, iOS 13 and above. Mm -hmm. But if you start using Combine, I don't recommend using it everywhere. Right. Don't use it everywhere. Otherwise, your core domain layer, your business logic will be depending on this framework. Exactly. It's still a dependency. Exactly. And it's a leaky abstraction to depend on a framework in a core domain layer. Why do your core domain layer need to know about publishers, about threading? Right. You know? So mostly I would use Combine in the composition route to help me compose the application. It's very handy. You can replace decorators, composites, adapters with universal Abstractions like map, flat map, catch, mm -hmm. receive on, and etc. You can move all the threading logic to a centralized place. So that's why it's important to only use it when you need to. So you can use it in the composition route, you can use it in the UI layer, maybe. For example, Swift UI already depends on combine mm -hmm. with published properties, for example. So when you have observable objects, 
So what is the point of hiding combine from the UI layer? But your core domain layer don't need to depend on this implementation detail. Yeah. Because the framework, again, it's probably an implementation detail. So yes, you can use combine if you don't support iOS 12. But there are still some missing parts in combine that I would like to have, such as more built-in schedulers, but you can just implement, for example, the scheduler protocol and implement your own scheduler. Right. Oh, and you can't use combine in non-Apple platforms. For example, you cannot run it on Linux. Mm -hmm. So if you want to support Linux or Windows, well, you won't be able to use it. Right. So you may use another framework that supports that, or just don't use a reactive framework at all. You don't need one. It can be handy, but you don't need one. Right. <laughs> it's an implementation detail. Make sense? That's it. Next question. Catalyst seems like a hacky way to get badly designed iOS apps to run on macOS. It works, but the experience isn't as great as a custom-made macOS app. How do you recommend sharing code between iOS, iPad, and macOS apps, but with custom UI for each platform to deliver the best experience possible? Well, indeed, there are great iOS apps that people want to run on macOS, but maybe, yeah, the design is not great, so the developers cannot easily release a macOS version, yeah. or they don't have the time or the budget to do so. Mm -hmm. So imagine, from Apple's point of view, you want those great apps running on every platform, mm -hmm. because the platform is only as valuable as the apps that run on that platform. Right. So the more great apps are running on macOS, the more valuable macOS is for customers. Mm -hmm. So Apple has a huge incentive to enable developers to release their apps in multiple platforms. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I agree with you that the experience is not going to be great if you simply get an iPad or iOS app and simply run it on the Mac because one is designed for touch and the other one is for point and click. Right. You know, so you have small screens, big screens, like super large screens, and mm -hmm. there are huge differences in experience that you need to account for. So even if you're using SwiftUI, for example, to have a universal app, you still need to customize a little bit for each platform. Yeah. There's so many differences, tab bars on iOS, menus on macOS, that they don't translate easily. It's just not natural. And Apple is not saying that you should build once and run everywhere. But they are pushing us and helping us create modular code bases with platform agnostic and platform specific targets. Yeah. So things that don't depend on a specific platform can be shared. That's it. And that's probably the majority of your code base. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's apparently the default setting on Xcode 12. When you create a new project on Xcode 12, it starts with both iOS and macOS target in a shared one for code that can run in both platforms. So this will help you and your team modularize your app into platform agnostic, the shared module, and platform-specific, the iOS and the macOS separate modules. Mm -hmm. So in the iOS app module, you can keep the iOS-specific UI. And in the macOS module, you can keep the macOS UI. 
That's the simplest way to share most of the code base, the core logic, and still deliver the best experience for each platform. Mm -hmm. So you can decide to use SwiftUI and try to share some views as well, or even use AppKit on macOS and UIKit on iOS. Why not? Or mix SwiftUI with UIKit on iOS and SwiftUI with AppKit on macOS. There's very good portability between them. Yeah, that's the thing that you, you gain these options. You gain the freedom to choose whatever you want based on your use case, based on your reasons. But you need to separate platform agnostic code from platform specific code. Yeah. That's the key. Next question. Assuming you are using MVVM in the UI layer, since view models are decoupled from views, for example, UI views and view controllers, I feel like it would be desirable to reuse them, but I find it hard to achieve. Same as it's hard to share the same view model between iOS and macOS apps. Right. So are view models reusable? Right. Can we share a view model between SwiftUI and UIKit or iOS and macOS? Or can we treat them as designed for specific views, platforms, or frameworks? Well, they are all valid solutions. Yeah. It depends on the case, right? So yes, you can reuse view models across apps. You can reuse the same view model on macOS and iOS. So across apps, frameworks, and platforms, when the presentation logic is the same. So if you have exactly the same presentation logic in iOS and macOS, just different UI, different experience, yes, you can reuse the view model. But for that, the view model shouldn't depend on any platform-specific framework like UIKit or AppKit. Right. That's the key. You can reuse view models when the presentation logic is the same and the view model is platform agnostic. Now, if the presentation logic is different for each platform, then we recommend you create separate view models. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a bunch of, again, conditional if statements. If macOS do something, if iOS do something else. Mm -hmm. Instead of if else, you can use polymorphism or you can just simply have completely separate UI mm -hmm. and presentation. So if the presentation logic is different, create different view models. So it's easier to develop, maintain and test because you don't need loads of if statements. It doesn't take longer. You may feel like it's longer because you're developing two things when you can have just one with a bunch of if statements. But that's a fallacy. <laughs> that's not the case. You, you need to see the effort over time. And over time, these flags are going to add so much overhead in your work. So The more if statements, the yeah. more control flow, the harder it is yep. to reason about the class, to test the class, to develop, maintain, extend, reuse, replace. Exactly. That's the problem. So it depends on the case. You can have reusable view models across platforms, frameworks, apps, or you can have platform-specific view models or even view models that are coupled with frameworks. You know, if you're only going to use the view model with a specific framework because it's very tightly coupled, yes, 
your models can also be coupled with the framework. Just understand that the cost is there, you cannot reuse them. Yeah. So if you want to use SwiftUI, you're going to have to probably re-implement a view model that depends on UIKit or AppKit. But if you don't want to reuse your view model, cross-platform frameworks or apps, there's nothing wrong in coupling it with the framework. For example, making a view model conform to observable object to bind with SwiftUI. Well, if you want to use it with SwiftUI, that's fine. Because remember that the view model protects your core models from the frameworks. Right. They translate the models and services to the specific user interface. So sometimes they might be coupled with the user interface, meaning the frameworks used in the user interface. Mm -hmm. But if you can decouple the view model from the UI framework, why not? Why not decouple it from UIKit and SwiftUI? If you can, yes, we recommend you do, because it will make it much easier to develop, maintain, extend, test, replace, and reuse it in isolation. When you can avoid coupling, do it. If you don't see a benefit, don't do it. But those options are valid. It depends on the case. Mm -hmm. And that's it for today. A lot of exciting new features. And the key to take advantage of them is to follow foundation principles. Principles that don't change with new languages, platforms, and frameworks. That's the key to become technically excellent and to achieve a prosperous and remarkable career. If you want to learn more, you can visit us at academy.essentialdeveloper.com. We are running a free event in a couple of weeks. You can register there. It's free. And you have access to a bunch of mentoring sessions and lectures to help you advance your career. Exactly. This is going to do it for this edition of the Iris Lead Essentials podcast. Let us know your thoughts, your comments, your feedback. We'll see you again next time. Bye, y'all. See ya.